you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Often when pastors write uh, little brief bios and blurbs, uh, they lead with, uh, I went and got my education at such and such place. I did my undergrad in this degree, and then I did seminary at X, Y, and Z. Uh, years ago, I heard somebody say what we ought to do is in these, in these bios list, I was baptized in X church, and I was confirmed by X church, and I was sent into ministry by X church, naming that uh, despite the educational significance of, or the significance of those educational things, so much of our formation happened uh, before we even knew it was happening. Uh, for me, when uh, my parents chose for David and Carol Gehring to baptize me, uh, when I'm, I was never a wee little guy, but relatively a wee little guy, um, I was being shaped and formed I was being shaped and formed when my church hired Linda Logston to come and build teams. Uh, y'all are, some of you are nodding. Linda Logston, who worked downtown for a long time, was my children's pastor growing up. And uh, what she did is built huge teams of volunteers who did the ministry. She wrangled my mother into teaching Sunday school class. And uh, so many mornings, I'm, I'm, I have these vivid memories of my mom and Connie Landon doing flannel graphs and telling us scripture stories. I have vivid memories of Miss Robin having us sing about being in the Lord's army and that we read the B-I-B-L-E. That spells Bible, if you, okay. I have great memories of uh, what was happening in the youth group even before I could get in. These, these older kids would show up and they would do stuff in church or we'd hear about this missions trip they went on or, or this thing they were doing. And then finally, I got to go to youth group. It was the only thing I could do. By this point, I was in so much trouble that my parents had me locked down. So my only outlet for friendship was youth group. So it was very motivating to go there. And I was shaped deeply in this community of people. This group that uh, for a while was a tiny little group and other times kind of swelled up to a big group. I was formed by the youth pastors in our church. Steve Smith was there for 14 years and, uh, and really uh, desired for the folks in the youth group Uh, to have a life of holiness. He didn't use those words, uh, but it was very much focused on how is your life different because of Jesus and and how do your behaviors align with what's happening in your heart. Um, Very, uh, this is the height of the accountability small group. Uh, Get together in a group and confess your sins and talk about the struggles you have. I was shaped uh, by the split in my home church. I was shaped when... uh, A third of our church left overnight over a pastoral appointment. I was shaped when when the church I tried to sneak off and go to another one sent me back saying, they were with you all those years, you've got to go be with them now. I was shaped by this church when they hired a new youth pastor from Michigan who came and said, hey, you know how to run sound and play guitar, right? Why don't you you help with youth group? And that began 10 years of uh, volunteering 30 hours a week in our youth program and seeing these these kids rise up into adults and go into their lives and and to see a different kind of uh, presentation of what what maybe gospel life looked like. For all Steve talked about behavior, Chad talked about heart transformation, almost to like the opposite extreme, right? Like, we're just going to talk about loving Jesus. 
um, and behavior will sort itself out. Jarvis Memorial United Methodist Church uh, has shaped me in ways that I will never be able to kind of untangle completely. There are uh, a myriad of great memories. Uh, there are a few deformative moments. Um, but I owe this church a ton. It grieves me to watch that church. They had a, a disaffiliation vote. Uh, you have to have 66.1% of the church vote to disaffiliate, and they had 64% vote. And so the uh, majority of people wanted to leave the United Methodist Church, uh, but they did not pass the vote to leave, and so those 64% left my church overnight and have started a new church and took all the staff except for the pastor with them. I'm watching this one group now post things about their new Greenville church. Um, I'm watching my home church post things to clarify who they are and, and, and what they actually believe. I'm watching uh, people I love rip each other apart right now. And so I've, I've wondered, how are these people shaped and formed uh, in this same church? What were all the moments in their lives? I'm trying to be charitable to, bo to both sides and say, what, what got you to this moment? Where are uh, the various flannel graphs and uh, communions and baptisms and potluck dinners? Man, Jarvis did potluck dinners really well for about a decade there. Um, like, how did these shape and form you? And then how did they help you understand God and the way you should live uh, that relationship with God? Steve, very much. Uh, you need Jesus to be your savior and then uh, you need to change every bit of your behavior. Here's all these uh, prohibitions from Scripture or things we can deduce from Scripture. You have to get your life straight. And I'm so thankful for that. It was also oppressive and uh, a struggle to tell a 12-year-old over and over how wretched you are if you have any of these sins in your life uh, and that it's your responsibility with your covenant group to get this straight, to get this fixed. I was deeply formed by Chad, who came and said, he was also Chad, they started calling me Foster after that. I've been at this church 23 years at this point, and they changed my name. Um, Chad Oyer came and uh, offered uh, that vision of, let's start with that God loves And what is it for you to love God? Imagine if we went through and asked each of your stories about the church that you were part of as a kid or the, the church that you came to when you first became a Christian. That church has shaped and formed you in ways that you have a particular understanding of uh, God and very specifically the work and message of Jesus Christ. And I imagine depending on what time of life you were in, uh, it has impacted you in different ways. I talked to some of you and, and you never had the phase of uh, I'm a wretched sinner, I'm going to burn in hell. Uh, that's, that's, for me, that's one of the most vivid memories of, of my home church. And then I think that drives me sometimes. And, and Holly Madden will be like, nope, never heard that message in my church at all. I heard uh, you are created in the image of God and loved. How are we being shaped and formed in this church? And how are we shaping and forming these kids that we confirmed and these kids that we baptized? How are you shaping your friends and uh, your relationships, those of you that are youth and kids? How, how uh, did these moments uh, impact us and other people? 
I've been trying to think this week about uh, how I would desire to go back in time and change the years I did youth ministry. Where, what would I go back and do differently? And I know uh, the one thing I'm sure of is I'd go back and offer a whole lot more grace. Uh, I grew up very uh, stewed in free will and our responsibility to get things straight and, and pretty light on God's grace. And dad, my father will own that one. That was all him. He was late 60s before he understood God's grace and this idea that he didn't have to be perfect. Our text today invite us to consider in three different places how we encounter Jesus, how we are transformed by Jesus, and how our behavior is after we have been uh, uh, after we have met Jesus. We have the Emmaus, the story of these disciples who are walking with Jesus after the resurrection. It's, it's Resurrection Sunday, it's whatever day it was, it's not Sunday back then. Uh, resurrection Day, and these events have just happened. The women have gone and told the disciples, and some other disciples are heading out of town having heard about this. The resurrected Christ is walking with them, and they have no clue who he is. This has got to be a long walk. Emmaus is not super, super close to Jerusalem. Uh, It's close enough to walk, but it says that he impacted the scriptures from Moses to the prophets on their walk. And it wasn't until he broke bread and made himself known to them uh, that they could know him. You know they wanted, they were enjoying this conversation, but they had no clue of the significance until Christ made himself known, until their eyes were opened, and they knew that this was Jesus There's nothing they could have done in that moment. They could not force their own eyes open. Jesus opened it for them. I like to think about this in terms of the way God's grace went before each one of us. And those times where we were baptized as little kids, or those times where uh, somebody was presenting a flannel, or somebody was playing the guitar, or somebody was putting up with you shaking uh, the pew in front of you because that's what kids do, or all those things where God's grace was ahead of us and preparing us for that moment where our eyes would be opened. We're not uh, first century disciples who encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Instead, we're much like the, 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 the Jewish folks that Peter is preaching to in our Acts text today. This, this continues our sermon last week where he's making the case that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's hope. He has preached his sermon, drawing on the book of Joel and the book of Psalms, and he has declared the resurrection as the transformative event that will redeem God's people. And then it says, and God brought 3,000 into the church that day. Peter had great speaking skills. He is eloquent and uh, presents the gospel message from the Spirit has fallen and is God who brings people into the church. I like to think about those moments where we, uh, we encounter Christ in a way that our eyes are opened. At some point, we went from hearing about Jesus to knowing Jesus, to uh, being transformed. And I'd like to suggest that even in that moment, God was the one who opened our eyes through his grace. There's nothing uh, we could have done uh, to make our eyes opened Instead, we respond to God's grace just as they did in that very moment when uh, God's grace was poured out through the Spirit and through Peter's sermon. And we're transformed in this very moment uh, that that Peter says, uh, what you need to know is that the one who has risen is indeed 
the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My home church attended at Jarvis to swing back and forth between seeing Jesus as Lord, Jesus in charge of everything. You know, he's reigning on high. We need to kind of filter everything of our lives through Jesus' lordship. What does it look like? How do we spend our money? How do we uh, use our time? How do, how do our behaviors act if Jesus Christ is Lord? And if we're not careful, we, we skip over the grace part and get straight to the fix your behaviors part so you don't burn in hell. Uh, we had other seasons where we swung to uh, Jesus is Savior. He is atoned for our sins. He has substituted himself on the cross for us and he has defeated sin and death. We just have to believe I spoke at the Franklin Graham Crusade in 1996. Uh, Youth Sunday, All-Star United is playing, and did a very brief uh, offering message at it. And, and, and because I was doing that, I got to see the kind of behind the scenes of a Franklin Graham Crusade. Talk about a formative moment, seeing how uh, all that worked 30 years ago. They knew that they were gonna offer Jesus. They knew they were going to preach the gospel of Christ's resurrection. They knew that they were going to invite the Spirit to transform people. But then what do we do after people say yes? And there's this great desire that, uh, you know, thousands are going to come and say, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. But then what happens after that? And there was wonderful intentions that just didn't seem to work. This is uh, the youth trips I went on often, uh, we'd go and we'd see a special band play and there'd always be some youth speaker and, and we would be told, you know, close your eyes. Uh, we're going to play some music and, and as the Spirit leads you, I'm going to invite you, you know, if, if God has changed your heart to raise your hand or come down to this altar, altar. I got saved like 45 times in youth group just so everybody knows. Um, I, I knew the Spirit of God was talking to me, right, Tony? Because you... They didn't wait. Like, if nobody came down or nobody raised your hand, I peeked sometimes, so I was looking. Uh, they were not going to stop, right? But then you go home from that youth retreat, and the question was, well, what comes next? Is there any discipleship that follows this moment of experiencing the, the resurrected Christ, or is this, just, is this all we need? Once we're saved, are we just saved? That's why I love our third reading for today, this, this uh, portion of the epistle of Peter to the church, where he says, here's the deal. Christ did this at the resurrection. He saved you from your sins and death, and he became the Lord of all creation. And because of this, your life needs to look differently, and here's how, because God has given you the power to do it. It's not enough for you to have received uh, this message, now your life needs to look at it. And here is the, the crowning moment, he says. Love one another. This is a church that is largely facing actual persecution. You know, we can talk about uh, the persecution of the church in America. This is not the same thing as like the emperor is coming to kill you. And this is what Peter's church is facing, uh, is a disdain from the imperial powers for those who would call themselves Christians. And, and, uh, and Peter is saying to this church, even in the face of that, even as some of your peers have denied Jesus because they don't want to be sent to the, to the Colosseum, even as they have shrunk back from this uh, moment, you must love them. I know you're disappointed in them. 
they chose a path you wouldn't have chose. You'd have gone right to the Colosseum and faced the gladiators or faced the tigers, but, uh, but love them anyway. And by the way, you're incapable of doing that outside the Spirit of God working in you through the resurrection of Christ. We encounter Jesus. Our eyes are finally open to the grace that has been ahead of us this whole time. And then we're invited as, as people who have uh, received this moment uh, to have our lives transformed. I did way too many youth messages that was you need to transform your life. You need to do this. You need to do that. And Peter tells us today that uh, actually God is doing that in you and that your life will look differently because of what God is doing. If I could change anything, I'd go back and preach a hundred different youth messages that said God's grace is sufficient. The power of God that raised Christ from the dead uh, is available to you. And so yes, your life does need to look different, but not because of your strength or your willpower. Instead, because it's a reliance on God's strength and his grace. It's my prayer for those that we baptize, for those that we welcome in a membership. It's my prayer for you youth who are uh, waiting into these next phases of your life. It's my prayer for you adults early in your careers. It's my prayer for those of you who are uh, on the last legs of your journey that at every moment you know the grace of God is the one sustaining you and allowing you to be the person you are. It's my prayer that we as a church don't lose sight of the fact that God is Lord and Savior. My prayer is that uh, we are transformed in our behavior in ways that the world cannot mistake because God is doing it. My prayer is that God would lavish us with his sanctifying grace, that we couldn't help but love him and love others. My prayer is that our eyes are opened and then we trust God's power. It's my prayer for you and it's my daily prayer for me. I have to shake some of the formation from my home church off seven days. I have to step back from, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. I tend to think I can do almost anything. Um, and it's a, a humbling uh, experience to realize that I can't save myself. I can't change my life on my own. I can't get things right. And instead that I have to day after day ask God's spirit to pour out grace upon me to make me a holy person. And so I pray it for you and I pray it for me. I pray it for my kids. I pray it for those I love and those that I struggle to love. I pray it on the good days and even more on the bad days. It's my prayer for me and it's my prayer for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, We thank you that your uh, yoke is light and your burden is easy. That you appear uh, in the resurrection. That you open eyes. That your grace has gone before us. That you uh, meet us in our every moment. And that you are Lord and Savior. God, may we uh, stop striving after what we can do and instead uh, follow where you are leading us. Lord, as we come to the table, would you lavish us with your grace that we might be a holy people, a people who in the midst of the chaos of life love you because you first loved us. 
I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.